Hi, this is Giuseppe. Hi, this is Anthony. And you're listening to For the Love of Sophia. A philosophy podcast brought to you by the Public Philosophy Project. If you have any questions or suggestions, feel free to email us at publicphilproject at gmail.com. Enjoy the ride. Hello and welcome to a special edition. To a special, we are interrupting your normally scheduled broadcasting <laughs> um, to do a little special thing for the 50th episode. No, we did not forget part two of Propaganda. We just uh, we just decided that number 50 was too much of a good chance for us to do something different, right? Yes, it it's, marks, a, it's a round number. Yeah, it marks kind of, um, you know, a milestone. It's a milestone. Yeah. For us, it's, we we're surprised we're still here. I guess. Partially. Oh yeah, no, I think we say this a lot, but but I mean it in that uh, this is more than what we expected. Absolutely, and the you know the numbers of mm-hmm. listens and and in general the interest that this thing has generated surprised us really. Yeah, I, me- I remember when I announced like, oh, the first two thousand listens, and that took. I feel like a year, like a like long time. Yep. And then now we're at about 4,000 and it's like half the time, you <laughs> yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's going it's going fast. Uh, but yeah, we decided to do something special, right? Yes. And so we made an announcement about this a few episodes ago that we asked some of you guys to submit your questions to us. Anything you've ever wondered, philosophically speaking, any, or anything you just wanted to ask me or Giuseppe, yep, I guess, on a personal much, yeah. level. Um, so we got some questions and we're going <laughs> to talk about these and, uh, we'll see how this goes. Right. Yeah. Um, some are more difficult than others, Yeah. but they're all good questions. I would say some are personal. Some are philosophical. Yeah. We, we got a couple of questions asking our age. We're not going to answer that, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm more comfortable maybe than you on that. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess let's jump right into it. Yep, so I'm going to read our first question. Go ahead. This person says, you guys are both philosophers. How do you think this identity slash perspective affects your interpersonal relationships, i.e. romantic partners, family members, friends? How do you think that other person's partner would answer this? Oh, how do you think that other person's answer would differ from your answer? That's interesting. So the... Your partner, your family member, your friend, how would these people answer, right? Yeah, so how do you think it affects your interpersonal relationships? And then how do the people on the other end of that relationship, how do you think they'd answer? (laughs) You want to start? I don't know. Well, you laughed. What's on your mind? (laughs) I was thinking that, you know, I was thinking of Socrates and the way his philosophizing disrupted Mm. his relationship with his wife, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, how he enhances the the relationship that he has with his friends and and other people, right? But I think it, so. First thing maybe we we should do is acknowledge the fact that, at least for me, and I don't know if you are on the same page here. Um, philosopher is one of as part of my identity, definitely, right? Sure. Um, I am who I am partially. Because I am a philosopher and I have this perspective on things, so it definitely affects my my interpersonal relationships. Um, and I think it makes them partially more difficult, mm-hmm. I would say. But at the same time, I think that it, it makes him more interesting as well i would say yeah i was i was thinking the same exact thing which sounds like a cop-out and i promise it's not because we'll get into it but there's a sense in which it makes them worse and there's a sense in which it makes them better it just depends on like the type of relationship yeah the person and then like the specific quality within the relationship you're talking about so maybe the one i'll start with is is family 
because uh, this is the first one that is affected by my choice to do this thing. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, so I always was definitely a pain in the ass, let's say that. Yeah, To the, the got fly. Right. <laughs> I just didn't know that like that was quote unquote doing or the the precursor to doing philosophy or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I officially got into it in college. I always say in this ethics class, I find myself in. And after I discovered it, I very much like everyone else who loves philosophy went into it. And then all of a sudden it was like, this is all I could think about. Yep. And so every little thing that happened, I would always try and ask a question or relate it to something in philosophy, and I would bring that up to people. I feel like you get different kinds of reactions, depending on how you do it, right, and who the person is. But at least with my family, I think it was simultaneously an eye roll. (laughs) Uh, And, well, yep, of course that's the thing he wound up doing. And... So the people in my family are non-philosophers. Um, I'll go a step beyond that. Non-academics. Um, very here. old school. Like I went to high school and got a job straight out of college. So my dad is like a pipe fitter, welder at a chemical facility. And then my mom uh, does like not dispatch, but like logistics for trucking companies and things like that. So... Uh, different in many senses from what I'm doing. So I think I always thought growing up that it made things a lot harder Hmm. because I felt like I couldn't, like, how do I say this? I feel like I was super curious and interested in all these things Mm -hmm. and my interest wasn't met with a corresponding interest because they were in different worlds and I feel like it was brushed off as like okay this is crazy or this is weird or this is unimportant or this is ingenuine Um, so that made me really angry and so I feel like it drove a wedge between me and them for a while Um, and you know things are better in many senses but i think there's always that thing there where it's like i felt like i wasn't getting what i needed Hmm. you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um and so i think that this is a way that philosophy complicates the parent-child relationship definitely um so i will say that probably at the at the very beginning at the onset of this there was a similar reaction Mm -hmm. um Meaning that, you know, the reaction like was more like you could have done everything, anything that you wanted. You're so smart. Why you do that? Why did you do that, right? Um, and at the beginning, it, there was this reaction of like, oh, my God, why are we talking about this crazy stuff? I remember one day bringing home and talking about Barclay and, you know, the, the all immaterialism things. And they were looking at me, of course. <laughs> Uh, why wouldn't they? Like, what are you talking about exactly? Mm-hmm. Things are not things. Whatever. But I say that that lasted not much. Eventually, um, building on the things that I was learning, right? I started up doing the thing that I do all the time, even in the podcast, right? I started like bringing those super abstract things mm-hmm into some concrete issues mm-hmm. that you know that you deal with every day and so with time i built some sort of credibility i want to say mm. and now i i am treated at least like okay he's the wise one mm. let's ask him for for advice or what he thinks is not completely useless right mm. now this this abstract weird thing eventually uh paid off well, I haven't had that yet. Well, you're young. I think, so one of the things I was going to say is that it's very much, to me, like, it doesn't get taken seriously. And They're orderly, I think. And, in the be- you know, there's kind of multiple senses in, in which that is like that. One is, oh, like, um, you know, he's acting. right? Like, oh, you're just being complicated for the sake of being complicated. And I always 
hated that because it was like, no, but I'm, I really care about this. What do you mean I'm acting, right? Like that's like this, like mm-hmm. insulting, right? And then the other sense is even if you're not acting, like this, this is meaningless, this question. Like it doesn't, the question doesn't make sense. And even if it does, it's not important. And mm-hmm. why are we wasting time talking about that? Mm-hmm. Or like, I'm just going to throw my hands up in the air and be like, oh, I don't know. I'm just going to leave you to that. But hmm. you, so the thing that struck me as interesting is you said now you're seen as like a source of, of information or advice or expertise of in some respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I definitely don't have that. <laughs> and and that, that's always weird to me because I'm like, OK, so like you'll brag about, oh, this person's a doctor. Right. So I asked them about doctoral things. And this person is a mechanic. Oh, let me go to that guy. And so, so you'll always hear people telling stories about their interactions of getting expert advice for these things. But uh, I don't think I'm at a point where I've become perceived as a locus of any kind of expertise. But again, everyone is different, right? But I think that will come eventually. I don't see that. It's got to come, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, unless you don't go crazy and you don't display your your <laughs> wisdom, right? I don't know how you are with your parents, because that's the other thing, right? Yeah. At a certain point, I took, like, I started, I stopped, like, showing or shoveling this mm. philosophy. Oh, you had to. Yeah, of I, course. I was like, you know, it's fine. You don't want to hear it. You think I'm, I think I'm, you think I'm crazy. I'm, I'm like, oh, it's fine. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. But then once in a while, depending on what the conversation was, I will throw something in and... I will end up being right or saying something meaningful. And they were like, whoa, where would this come from? <laughs> and I would always uh, give props to the things that I studied. Mm-hmm. So eventually now philosophy in my family's house is not is not a bad word anymore, right? And the, pre- cool. the premise is, though, I came from the same situation. Nobody's an academic. Nobody's mm-hmm. a philosopher. First person in my family to go to college. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, there was no understanding, but there was so, sort of openness there mm-hmm. uh, at a certain point that came out. That's pretty cool. Um, I think that, well, hopefully that day will come. I think so. So the second part of this question is how would they answer? And I know just how <laughs> they would because I've had this conversation. And one of the things I hear is it's not that I'm not interested. It's not that I think you're ingenuine. It's not that I think these things are unimportant. It's that I don't even know. I I don't even, I I don't feel comfortable having these conversations about which I know nothing. Um, I'm not experienced. I don't know what we're doing, so I don't even touch it. And my response is always, well, that's not a good idea. (laughs) You know, like you should at least try. Gotcha. Now, I've, which is which is a standard response, I want to say, for... Yeah. I don't want to get involved, right? I'm no, not, exactly, exactly. Uh, I, well, what would they say? Well, they would say that probably this thing, even though it's weird, <laughs> he, has all, he has helped me mature in a way mm. that they didn't imagine. They, they find some... And they, they would say that it has made me wiser now because we are in that... Right? I think I, I have done so much propaganda about philosophy <laughs> that now they're convinced that this thing really has merit. So that he, it's 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 an aid to human interactions. And let me let me give a little uh, like a positive spin on this because I think probably what they would say is no, it's not all that um, because I think there is on a really deep level that you don't talk about uh, a kind of respect and reverence. And so maybe, you know, they would be shocked when I'm saying this because they always have it because it's in their own private mind, but it's like, I don't see it. So for example, uh, like my mom said something at, you know, we got married for the second time recently. <laughs> well, this wasn't the, this was the party. So you're a bigamist. So I'm a big, <laughs> I always, what was the joke we were saying? Oh, we got to make it perfect. You only get married twice. <laughs> um, but at the rehearsal dinner, you know, my mom would say this thing like, Typically, the parent teaches the child things and and the child learns from the parent. But she said that in many ways, I 
have taught her a number of things um, that she has learned from like the decisions I've made and the way I've acted. So even if that's not directly connected to philosophy explicitly, um, maybe that's a way of seeing a positive acknowledged by her from that. And and it's the same thing with my dad that I think very much um, respects my seriousness and like he always says I'm a person of my word and I always take things seriously and I try to accomplish things so that's a, a positive in how they might respond maybe gotcha I think with partners things are different I was about to ask about <laughs> yeah romantic partners because I probably drive them crazy sometime. multiple <laughs> talk about polygamy no. <laughs> not me us in general probably as philosophers we drive them crazy but even there, right? There's a double kind of of uh, how can we call it? There are two ways in which we can look at this. Uh, one way is again the 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 driving crazy of that, and uh, this worse becomes hair splitting, right? Mm-hmm. But this is not exactly that. <laughs> you didn't specify what brand of milk. <laughs> no, no, no. But uh, right. you know what I'm saying. The the the, the when the argumentative nature comes out right yes uh that is there and that's never this always preludes not a good evening uh but there's also the 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 pleasure that bring the com- the same kind of conversation or argumentativeness mm-hmm. brings about right when all of a sudden i get into um into something that i that i am passionate uh that moment philosophical or not but through philosophy, so to speak, um, I'm able to, you know, to express it and to 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 interact with it in a specific way, and that usually uh, it's captivating, right? It's part of uh, the reason why we like each other, right? With with my with my with my wife, so that will be it, right? Yeah. I think I think there's more. There's there must be more to it, but that's think- the, that's the basic level. I think one thing that might be a little different from like how you respond and how I respond would be that uh, Claire is an academic also, mm-hmm. right? And she's philosophy adjacent. And depending on how broad your tent is, like you could also say that she does philosophy, mm-hmm. right? And she in many of like has many of the same traits as me in terms of inquiry mm-hmm. and passion. Uh, and values and social views and things like that. Um, so she always was, wow, that was so much louder, that phone vibrate <laughs> in the microphone than I thought it would be. Um, and even like in high school, the kinds of classes she would take and in college as an undergrad, uh, she minored in philosophy, but then her graduate was rhetoric, which again is philosophy, but basically philosophy. So <laughs> I think that the kind of discussions we have are probably different from the discussions that most other couples who don't have that quality Mm -hmm. are um similarly the arguments are quite different because i do think it turns into something very technical and very hair splitting that to us is like all right we're really pursuing what's going on here and what we should do but from the outside it's like what the hell are you guys talking like one of my friends witnessed a fight of ours once (laughs) and his reaction was like i think he was like talking to claire at some point when she was in the other room and like he would go back and forth after this and he was like you know you guys are mad about nothing no one else does this (laughs) no one else would be talking about this kind of thing i don't know what you guys are even doing right now um so to the outside it looks like i want to know what was the, the argument about I'm not even going to get into it, but it was something where, you know, things always turn into the meanings of words and the relevance of intention um, in actions and, you know, like definitions of successful and unsuccessful social interactions and and all that good stuff. But um, I think that like, and Claire would agree if she was here, um, I think is one thing I could speak for her on is that has made us so much better and stronger as a couple because we do this crazy like labor in our conversations we're, we're big on like if something comes up you don't drop it you like this is what we're doing for the next three hours right and it gets really heated 
and really passionate and really intense. But at the end of the day, you solve it. We solve it. And not only do we solve it with a band-aid, but we've like dug deeply enough into the ocean that that we're like different people after the conversation and it always sticks with you. So I would say it has made the relationship a lot more difficult in the sense that you have to work harder, but way, 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 way richer. And I wouldn't trade it for the world. No, I, I understand that. It's to me instead I try to to leave the philosopher out the door. Yeah, as I mean, much as I mean, possible. right. Sometimes you have to do that. You can't do it. Turn on all the time. No, because yeah. otherwise. But yeah, this things. I I can. I understand what you're talking about, and it is exhausting. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, again, yeah, it give, it's rich. It's pretty rich. But I mean, I I don't want to give the illusion that all I do is is philosophy, <laughs> philosophy, philosophy at home. It's not like that. It's just when it comes up, it it it's this. But I don't do philosophy all the right. time at home for sure. And I, this is a thing that I'm wondering if if uh, people perceive of you, like whoever students included, because I've had this. There's this idea that like when you're doing philosophy, whether it's a conversation that's serious or a lecture, that you're so impassioned and technical about that it's like, oh, does this guy do anything else? <laughs> like, does all he do is read? And my answer is, uh, no. All I do is not <laughs> read. And yes, like most of the time, I'm just hanging out you know yeah, yeah. Um, well but i i think we at least me right i'll speak for myself what i just said i don't do philosophy all the time i leave the philosopher out the door mm-hmm. but that's not really true is it right and no right on a basic because sense it's not but it doesn't so, mean you're do i argue philosophy all the time no right is the philosophical element always within me yes i cannot yes. i cannot hang that out the you're door. always the philosophical perceiver yes but there are situations in which after an argument my response is like i don't want to talk about this anymore mm-hmm. enough yes you're right <laughs> that's it well right because sometimes you have to f- you just exhaust worth it exactly you're just exhausted and uh, yeah. to me like that's I don't, I don't know it's gonna sound like more dramatic than what it is okay i'm excited well let's assume that philosophy is this fire that we have inside us right mm-hmm. uh this fire is consuming it consumes you it really consumes me mm-hmm. uh and sometimes i need to make an effort to you know to eliminate a little bit of wood so it goes a little lower this right thing. absolutely um but it's there and it's it's dangerous for your relationships at all times i think yeah i act this is actually why i uh found myself really alienated in grad school because when i got there i expected and i think this partially become uh comes from the fact of a my disposition but also my background like mm-hmm. coming from a quote-unquote lower working class or whatever yeah is that i was expecting everyone to have their ph- philosophical interests and to work hard and whatever but then also have a life outside of that. Mm-hmm. And what I found was uh, they didn't. Is that so many people in grad school, like these are the people that all they did was like eat, sleep, and breathe philosophy. And I was like, do you want to just go drink and like screw around and make jokes? And very few people did that. And I was like, how do you live like that? So I think that we need to make a, a clarification there. I think that these people are not philosophers. They study philosophy, which is different. Mm. They're like philosophical academic academicians. I don't know yes, what you say. because philosophy, in my opinion, philosophy completely detached from reality mm. and from the things that you're supposed to do as a human being is not philosophy. That's a good point. But so, so and, but they, of course, they will disagree. They'll be like, I don't know enough because yeah. I don't know. But you're right. What you said before. Sometimes you have to be like, no, like you're right. Just let it go because that makes a better outcome. Yeah. Um, and then just to touch upon the last thing, and we could do another question with friends. Different points. Both friends. <laughs> <laughs> different answer depending on what stage in my life. I think in adolescence, I was much more like having those proto philosophical adolescent conversations with people, and it makes you really close with people. But also, I like for the most part, I'm not with those people anymore um you know my best friends now the guys um you know from the band they're still my like there's my best man and Mm -hmm. my groomsmen um and we have serious conversations but i think it's also a little bit of oh that's just anthony being anthony (laughs) and they think it's like kind of illegit like one time at my friend's bachelor party 
we took him to Boston and uh, it was late at night and we were like hanging out drinking and something came up. Like I, I was talking about uh, watching children learn and like trying to see if disabilities are, are present and just seeing how they, they think out loud. And I said something like, oh, maybe this person, I wondered if they had aphantasia. And they were like, oh, what is that? And I started explaining like, well, it's this condition in which when a person thinks like they don't have images, they don't have a visual mental image component to their thoughts. So when they think it's literally just in terms of facts and there's no like they don't when you say cake mm -hmm. and describe a cake, they're not seeing the cake in their mind's eye because there is no cake in the mind's eye. They just have. And I was explaining that, and they were just they looked at each other and did like a like eye roll like, oh, there he is doing this thing again. <laughs> and that like I love these guys and, I you know, my friends um, wouldn't trade them for the world. But I do have this moment of like, excuse my French, like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like that, it's such a now we dismissal. Now we're going to put the explicit oh, mark. I know, I know. We hadn't done that yet. But uh, yeah, I hate, I hate anytime someone dismisses something. But anyway, um, different components to relationships. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I agree with you. First of all, I think the philosophy is a good deterrent. <laughs> it doesn't, it repels people that are not um they're they're not able to to kind of mm -hmm. accept this level of discussions right mm. so i've i have i want to say i have very few friends same um, few but close and uh and with these people i again i don't need to talk philosophy at all time but when they because the occasion rises they listen and they actually partake in the mm -hmm. dialogical situation. So no no eye rolls, no That's good. Nothing like that. But again, different generation though, right? Um That's true. Older maybe I mean if I think of before, yeah, when I was younger, mm -hmm. it would happen and somebody would be like, God, again? Who's <laughs> doing that thing? Are we talking about this again? Stop. Yeah. But I think I think there's also residuals of like, oh, this is a performance. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, like at what point do you realize this is not a performance? But uh, but I think that for me at least what what's always saved me from from this situation is the fact that I joke around a lot. Oh yeah. I, I you know, I mess around a lot. So there is I was nobody was ever able to attach to me the label of the the always serious guy. That's right? good. That's good. I was always like, you know, the one like, really yeah. do we want to, I remember, you know, <laughs> I got my PhD not for that much and people started calling me like doctor. <laughs> and I'll be like, don't you call me That's so funny. doctor. Yeah. But don't you dare. It was like, it was an insult. So, but yeah. Okay. So the bottom line is the student, the student came up to me and was like, yeah, we were thinking, do you do anything else? Uh, yes. Most <laughs> of the time, I hang out, I play poker, I go places, we travel, we just sit around, screwing around a lot. I have parties, and I love movies, and I love music more than anything. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> I'm serious, but I'm also silly. Yeah, and uh, but again, I, I'm, I'm afraid that we're portraying something as, oh, those people are able to completely unplug for this thing that they do. Which is again not entirely true for me. Yeah, this no, is it's not more a, complex. This is that. not a job. This is who I am. I always right. say this. Right. But at the same time, being a philosopher doesn't mean always being serious and think about uh, yeah. being and not being. Well, because the good life is not just doing that. Exactly. Exactly. Right? Is doing everything with that eye, from that perspective. But it's not doing just that. Right. You're not always in hyper analytical mode. You shouldn't be. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so that we we can go on and on with that question forever, but we gotta we gotta go to number question number two. Yeah, which is a little bit, uh, in some sense, more philosophical, but also funnier. Yep. So, do you want to read this one? Sure. So we've been asked: Is it morally wrong to get angry at or mistreat Siri or Alexa <laughs> or whatever? I love this. Uh, morally wrong. Do you wanna? Do you wanna attempt? Okay. Uh, so the question is basically stems from like, do you have an ethical obligation to technology? Yep. And uh, well, that depends. Well, this is an episode <laughs> by itself. Right. 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 Uh, but I think the question is the the answer to that. Um, 
needs to be relative to what what do we think technology is, right? Yes. Who do we have ethical obligation towards? I think when we were talking about morality in one of the past episodes, one of the things that I said was we have no ethical obligation towards animals because they do not partake with this game. They're unable to make moral decisions, therefore they're amoral, therefore they're not part of this. Yes, you said there was no direct moral obligation. Exactly. I think that we can use the same argument with Siri, Mm -hmm. Uh, even though I think that the real difficulty here is what does it even mean to mistreat her or to... Because getting angry at it, right? Yeah. It's something that you do, so I understand. It involves your, let's say, feeling towards that thing at Mm -hmm. that moment. But mistreating it means not treating it right. right. What does it mean? Can you mistreat on something that's not alive, first of all. Because you can mistreat an animal, right? Yes, absolutely. But can you mistreat a a piece of technology? You can mistreat a piece of equipment, just not in the same way. Because think about, like, if your kid is a... Mistreating my headphones? Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Or like, oh, let me touch your guitar. And I'm like, eh, maybe you don't want to do that, right? You don't want to mistreat. But that's a different type of mistreatment. It's like... I don't want you. It's not moral. Yeah, it's not moral mistreatment. It's like I don't want you to break that thing because I love it. It's gonna mess it up. It's it's again. It's indirect. It's because it affects me exactly Um, emotionally and also my pocket and all these different things. But but there is a sense in which those things like Siri or Alexa, because they have a name and they are Mm. part of people's life on a level that they have (coughs) sort of become. semi-sentient sentient i guess well i feel like ostensibly so because the name like yes they add a name so it feels more like a person yep right and this is like we've briefly talked about this but how in in star trek they have data Mm -hmm. who is an android but who you're like oh he's conscious he's a he Mm -hmm. yeah it's a person he has identity um therefore there are moral and immoral ways to treat him. He has autonomy. You can't force him to do something. He gets to make a choice. You can't turn his switch off because that's like murdering someone. You don't want to enslave him. So, you know, definitely people We're going think, towards that. Yes. So people think that something like that could and should happen. Now, do I think that's the case? That's separate. But that's definitely in in the collective set of ideas, let's say. Hmm. In in like the cultural whatever, I'm wondering if we if we make the decision to to at least allow the possibility for that. Mm-hmm. Um, what would that mean? Would that mean that you know if Siri tells me to do something, I should do it because otherwise I am. But she asked nicely. Exactly. <laughs> uh, what where this thing will lead us in other words right and i'm not i'm not necessarily i'm not thinking about slippery slopes or anything like that that's my my least favorite kind of argument but um, and again can you miss can you be angry at it is it all right to be angry at it yes but i also think it's all right to be angry at people sometimes yeah is it all right to mistreat it Yes. Yeah, I mean, just to show my cards, I think this. I'm, I'm like that's that's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Like, no, it doesn't have any. Like when I was younger, especially, and Siri first came out, was getting like more. Uh, it's still not good. It's mm-hmm. still not good. But I do a lot of voice commands, so I guess okay. this is relevant to me. Like because I set a lot of alarms, mm-hmm. and I do it really quickly, so I'll just hold it. Mm-hmm. You know, make this command, make this alarm, and then she'll respond. Right, and I, I do that a lot, and when it would say the, so that was disrespectful. You didn't even answer. I didn't even answer. Right, to cut her off. But when she would misunderstand my words mm-hmm. or be like, I can't execute that command, I would get mad. I'm like, Ugh. and then I would just keep talking to it for fun. Just I'm screwing around like, oh, you're good for nothing. But but but, and she'd be like, oh, I don't understand that. And then I would start cursing at it just because why not, right? Yeah. And then she, I don't know what that means. But then she'll say, oh. That's hurtful. How could you say that? <laughs> right? And, you know, I'm anthropomorphizing. It's not a she. Mm-hmm. It's a program that has an audio output. Yeah. Um, do I ever feel bad? 
No. If I do, I feel bad for me. Like, are you an idiot? Why are you yelling at your phone right now? <laughs> but you know what? Maybe it's one of those cases like Kant would say with animals, right? There's I was just about to say because you brought this up in the animal episode. But there's nothing wrong about in itself mistreating Siri, but maybe that gives us a glimpse of the way you would act or you act with people yeah. when people frustrate you. So maybe, again, to use another of the moral philosophers, maybe with Aristotle, we should treat Siri well so we can train ourselves to mm-hmm. treat somebody else's like a person. Mm-hmm. Well, like it could be our, our, you know, training ground to become virtuous, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe morally it helps if you don't mistreat her. <laughs> Yeah, so it's not immoral to be bad to her for her sake. But it's because bad, there is no her. But it's bad to get in the habit of It's acting. bad for my character. Exactly. Yeah. In the habit of, of behaving in a certain way towards anything or anybody. Yeah, so I think we're on board there. Yeah. Um, deleting files, things like that. I don't know. I mean, same thing. Nah. Yeah, it's, it's, I'm not going to... Because it's an extension of myself. So it's like I could do... Like everything else, but like everything else, I don't disagree. <laughs> At least not in that sense. But yeah, yeah. So I think this is. I don't know if. Well, the, well, do you think? Because I feel like um, people do think. The answer is no for you. I'm guessing that machines will ever get. He's already shaking his head. No, he knows what I'm going to say. Uh, <laughs> conscious to the extent that they are moral agents, and there is an no. ethical push and pull. No. Yeah, I, I want to say I think it's a great science fiction concept, and I think science fiction predicts like 90% of everything, but I just don't know if I believe that a machine will ever become conscious. I think it's going to get better at, and better at replicating I was consciousness. About to say. I was about to say. But I don't think there will ever be something it is like to be a machine. I think that at best, and I think this is still far away, we will be able to have machines that look like mm-hmm. they're doing some conscious stuff. Yeah, yeah. But they're not doing conscious stuff. It's like, have you... And there's always going to be some clumsiness to them that you can, how can we say, can you can bring to life to mm. show that something is off about them. They're not like us. Well, it's like, you know, this concept of the, the uncanny valley, mm-hmm. right, where it's... It's real-ish to where it maybe tricks you into believing it's real, but there's something slightly off, which is like, oh, like mm-hmm. kind of freaks you out. Mm-hmm. And the example I feel like I've read online, which is funny, is that animation, like the Polar Express, where they're like, oh, they're, it's it's less cartoony and they move like humans, but you're like, oh, my God, like her neck is doing a weird thing. Yep. And yeah, exactly. So stuff like that. Yeah, or like... Princess Leia in the Star Wars episode when they recreated mm. her after. Oh, she was okay. Dead. So, yeah. Yeah, those things. So, I, okay. I, um, hopefully we we answered the question. Yeah. I was trying to think if there was anything else floating in the back of my mind with that. I am satisfied. So we're solid, <laughs> solid no on that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because uh, I was going to say at what point, maybe one last question mm-hmm. is, at what po- does the acting ever manifest in an ethical obligation? Like I was watching... Uh, I robot the other day on vacation because it was just on in the background and like my niece is with them. My one niece was terrified because she's like everything. She's like, is that scary? And we're like, no, not everything's scary. <laughs> but the younger one who's uh, three or was watching it and she was engrossed because she didn't know what of was course. going on. I mean, so <laughs> like a commercial came on for Taco Bell and it was like a totally different media like it looked like anime and she's like is this part of the movie and we're like no this is not part of the movie (laughs) but anyway I robot the idea is Will Smith is skeptical of these things and the one robot starts behaving autonomously and you find out he says he's having sunny he's having dreams and he has dreams of like leading the robot liberation Mm -hmm. so they're not slaves to humanity and you're probably thinking like that's such a plebeian thing i read the book you're talking about the movie (laughs) um i have not um but something like that like imagine there was a robot Mm -hmm. who seemingly expressed something like a will what do you do you just say like shut up and turn it (laughs) off (laughs) probably the wise thing to do Mm. no but i probably my curiosity will let me to okay let's figure it out i'll Mm -hmm. start doing like some touring experiments and and, mm. uh, you know, 
trying to figure, trying to to show to right. bring to light this like what was that movie? Ex Machina. This clunkiness that must be somewhere hidden there yeah. that ex, that can show that they're not like us. It was tough. The the, the most advanced one I'll say I think is her. Hmm. I feel like that was yeah. the the one that convinced you the most. Like yeah. oh my god, he's in a relationship. Yeah, yeah, because but, yeah. Because of the, the the human counterpart, though. Yeah, I mean, and and they they chose Scarlett Johansson's voice yeah. for a reason, right? Exactly, exactly. So. All right. So, solid no. So no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got what? One more, two more. I, I think forgot. I more than that. Um, All right, number three. What this is a super philosophical one. What is natural causality? So interesting concept there. Right. What does this mean to you? Um, well, I think it's a concept that's also related to to theology sometimes. Mm. And it has to do with the causation of, uh, how can we say? The, okay, complicated, I guess. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it has to do with understanding or explaining causality within terms of natural events right okay so natural causality and i think it has to do with the um what can we call it with the involvement or not involvement or agents that are extra natural like a god yeah okay to to that so in the same way that natural theologist will say like there is a god and no it is not supernatural it is part of the natural mm-hmm. i it's, guess so yeah well can i ask a question sure what would unnatural causality be ah uh, that's a good question um well an un- well it's not an unnatural causality i guess that an unnatural causality will be a, a causality that's it will be the absence of causality when it comes to, to certain things, right? Mm. So, um, natural causality should would be an example would be like the Greek gods, right? They interact directly with nature, and some things happen because okay. of them. Okay. So what we're calling as unnatural causality will be something that is not like the, a materialistic view of the universe, even though it has causality, but it's not. So, like if I. If I mm-hmm. make a bad choice that affects me, you'd be like, oh, that wasn't the result of God's will. That was you making a bad choice, so it was an unnatural causality. Is that kind of what you're saying? Or like if I if I tip this bottle over mm-hmm. and it's not the gods intervening? No, I'm not sure I'm saying that. I'm saying that the, this idea of, there's no such thing as unnatural causality. There is no such thing as unnatural because everything yes. is natural yes. in the system. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because you don't need to qualify it because no. the natural becomes part of causality itself as a concept. And in general, I mean, the belief is if you believe in natural causality, the general belief is everything happens because of natural causes. And of course, mm-hmm. gods and gods and God mm-hmm. are part of natural causes as well which is related to that saying everything happens for a reason that's i guess <laughs> i guess so i so but do what do we think about this though do we think this is that a is that a concept that actually uh functions can you ask it more targetedly um does everything that happen can be explained through the laws of causality the way we understand it in, I don't know, in science, or if you wanna, if you wanna look at it from another perspective, you can you can bring religion there as well, right? But I think that's a complication. The simplest way is to analyze the, the. Oh, can everything? Okay, so can everything be explained in terms of the structure of the system? Yeah, causally. Yes. Uh, I'm gonna say. Branching off something we spoke about in the the propaganda episode, the God episode, the logic episode, no, because you need something outside of the system. There needs to be that meta step. The meta level in order to... So, like it can't be self-contained, I don't think. So the, there's going to be a cause that's not caused. There's, there's going to be an effect that's not caused by something within the system. Yeah, there has to be a causal element 
or something like a causal element that's outside of the causal system in question. Then the whole building of modern sciences is an illusion. Uh, I think they're wrong. <laughs> I think you can't be like, because you'll say things like, what's before the Big Bang? Nothing was before the Big Bang. I'm like, that, that's silly. Like, what do you mean? The actual explosion. The actual, but even when they say things like, you know, it was just the, the ball of energy and like mm -hmm. everything came from like, okay, okay, that makes sense. But, but why is that there? Or like, what was the cause of that? And I think the, res the response is, um, there was no cause, right? Because there's there's not an infinite regress, which I, I get why you would want to do that, mm -hmm. um, principally and, and practically. But it seems like, to me, more like you're hitting a wall less than giving me a totally sufficient answer. And the reason you're hitting wall is not necessarily because you're being ingenuine. It's because, by definition, an explanation of the thing cannot involve the thing. So, of course you're not going to be able to explain the first thing in the system because, precisely, you need something outside of the system that doesn't appeal to any of its concepts to do it. Maybe, as I always say, the problem is that there's not, there's not a first thing to begin with. Mm. That we just choose to apply the laws that we had decided from the Big Bang on. Mm -hmm. But maybe there are ways to keep inquiring, but we just have decided to stop there. Yeah, I think so. We agree up to this point. I think where we might disagree is I like I have no problem with there being an end point. Like I, I could believe that there is an end. It's just that I think it will be outside of all the sip, the systems subsequent to it. Well, I believe that there is not necessarily the end is artificial. I mean that we uh, yes we made we decided that was the end, but that we can always go back. Yeah, you ultimately land on the side of the infinite, of plurality and mm -hmm. multiplicity. And I think ultimately, even though we agree on, on many axioms, I land on the side of limit. Yeah, yeah, and probably. Something yeah. like that. I think yeah, it's yeah, yeah, that's I fair think enough. That's good, though, right, for that yeah. question? Yeah. All right, do you want to... There's one more, right? Yeah, there's like, they kind of go hand in hand. Yeah. Uh, why do we love philosophy and also... Oh, they want a book recommendation. They're okay. asking for a, for a very influential book for us. Hmm. So you go first. Okay. Why do I love philosophy? I'm really thinking about this. And I, the answer I thought involved um, like a negative component. Not bad, but just mathematically. Because I think a life without the philosophical component would not seemingly be good to me. Like, I, I couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't find it fulfilling. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't find it meaningful. Um, now, to give a more positive answer, I think it makes me um, a lot more... So that the practical level is I think it makes me lot more equipped to handle situations in my life out in the world um, makes me more effective but it's not just that because I'm not a pragmatist about it I think on a more personal level uh, it makes me a better person uh, aside from the practical stuff like I think it it makes my character stronger I think it's interesting it's mm. fun to me I like understanding things right uh, there is a selfish element to it. It's like, I like understanding things. I like asking questions. I like playing with different ideas. So it very much, it, it simultaneously allows me the tools for becoming the best version of myself while also becoming the most effective person out in the world when it comes to performing tasks um, and maintaining relationships. Hmm. Good answer. Good answer. Like uh, Steve Harvey on uh, Family <laughs> Feud. Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> no, I'm thinking. Um, so I'm going to go on a different route. And that's again, okay. I'm going to be the dramatic guy today. Okay. Um, I like that. I don't know why. Mm. I don't know why. The same way I don't know why I fall in love with somebody. Right? Why do I love my wife? I don't know. Why do I love, uh, you know, a friend? I don't know. Hmm. I choose 
to pursue the the love of somebody or to pursue a person mm -hmm. but i didn't choose that i don't know why i don't know what's attractive i don't know i i have no idea you make a good point i the only thing that i know is just there is this attraction and i cannot do without it it's like crazy love love like that if you're if you're without you just want to you don't want you don't want to live because that thing is so you know it's, but it's it's a non-propagandal drug <laughs> <laughs> it's it's uh it's it's hard I, I don't know and i think there is a level there is a sense of um in which this this question is to me mm -hmm. uh, it's twofold there's one level of uh, which this question is almost offensive. <laughs> how could you ask me that? Like, how, I didn't ask you why you love your husband or why you love your wife or mm -hmm. why you why you are in love with whoever you are in love. Mm -hmm. How can you ask that? Uh, hmm. And then there is another level that says, well, only a non-philosopher can ask this question about philosophy. Because philosophy in itself is love, right? <laughs> hmm. So we are... I am in love with love itself. Why? I don't know. I can't. <laughs> I could say. You, you raise a very interesting point because if I take that into account um, after saying what I said, it seems like my answer was to the question, why do you continually do philosophy? But it maybe does not, and I'm going to say maybe, but maybe does not answer the question, why were you interested in the first place before you had like figured all that stuff out and, and rationalized it after the fact? And it, and I'm sure they wanted your answer, not mine. But again, if we're talking about hmm. we're splitting hair, right? <laughs> Which is what we do. Uh, if you ask me why I'm in love with it, mm -hmm. why do I love it so much? I just do. What was the first cause? I, I, I just do. I just do. Yeah, maybe the initial, it could be, there's a couple of options, right? Like it could be that initial spark was an unconscious desire for the things that I later come to rationally realize that I explained. Or it could be less contentful. So is, it could be. But is love rational at this point? Is that what you're saying to you? You love Claire because of whatever. I think it's wasn't uh, it wasn't it like something that I don't want to. Push I, so <laughs> we should do an episode maybe on this, maybe not. I think an element of it is rational and an element of it is irrational. I think it's both. Mm. Um, but what I was going to say is, it could be that thing, right? Like unconsciously, for self-fulfilling or evolutionary reasons this would be the case and you just mm -hmm. realize it after the fact right for the same way that like the baby doesn't know that yeah. eating is good for it but it doesn't like i like food or it could be something much more ambiguous and spiritual and contentless like like a, an aesthetic experience to go back to that um it could just be a pleasure principle uh Maybe it's a, a yeah, you know, like a religious thing. I don't know. It, it could be many different things. Yeah. And we only can speculate about why we love it, and probably we're both of us are correct in some ways and mm -hmm. without knowledge in other ways. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I don't. I think that's it. I think that's that yeah. there's very well the book recommendation. <laughs> right. Right. Well, the last thing I'll say is I wouldn't want to live without it. That's what I'll say at this point. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and it's, but that's the thing, though. Why is that? It's, Why is it not worth living? Why yeah. do we side with Socrates? And it's and it's one of those things, right? It's it cannot be just, it's not just rational. Well, I think we're we enamored with things, but and enamorment is not completely rational. Yeah, and I think that rush. So all the things that you said, I think they're there for me too, mm -hmm. on different levels, right? But those things are almost. It's like, it's like if you're in love with someone and somebody mm -hmm. says, why? What's so special about this? Mm -hmm. right? And then you start thinking, what's so special about it? Wait a minute. And then you find the justification it's for like something. It's a post-hoc justification. You cannot yeah. justify in itself, right? Mm -hmm. I think that that's what we're doing when we do that. But again. Yeah, so let's, let's, I'll say there's, there's the rational 
component, but then there's this much more primordial, like animalistic element to it that we can't touch. The fire, which I was talking about. The fire, the spirit that (laughs) breathes life into it. Okay. Book recommendation? Yeah. So what's your, (sighs) basically, we need like your, your, your inspirational book. I could, that one's easier. If it's like, what got me into this, I could do that. If in terms of just like, what's a book? Influential says, right? That's influential. When I was younger, uh, like the thing that got me into philosophy, I always say it was a combination of a couple things. One was reading The Euthyphro mm-hmm. by Plato, which is not a book, but it's a dialogue and it's mm-hmm. not that long. Um, and the the question, you know, basically what's happening in the Euthyphro is there's this conversation between Socrates and Euthyphro and Euthyphro is prosecuting his father. And he's like, how could you do that? It's your father. And Euthyphro says, no, no, no. This is the right thing to do. It's the pious thing to do. Like it's holy, right? Mm -hmm. It's like the godly thing to do. And Socrates says, well, well, what is piety? And so Euthyphro is like, well, it's what the gods like. And so Socrates (laughs) asked this fundamental question like, okay, well, do the gods like it because it's pious? Or in other words, I'm going to use the word good so it's easy for people. Do the gods like a good thing because it's good? Or is the good thing good because the gods like it? And I, when I was, how old was I? This probably like 18, 18, 19. I was like, whoa, this is exactly the kind of stuff that I like thinking about. I just didn't know it had a name, mm-hmm. right? Because it's like, well, did gods bestow goodness and were, was God first? Or was goodness a thing preceding gods and somehow gods came after? And you're like, mm-hmm. oh my God. And once you, it's not just that question though, because once you realize that, you start thinking of all these different things like, well, why is this like this? Is it because this? Oh my God, there's all these different possibilities. And we've accepted this one structural explanation, but could it be another? Mm-hmm. I don't know. And then you think of like possibilities of possibilities of possibilities and you try to start going crazy and, and paint a picture there. But uh, that's the one thing that got me into it. And then uh, the first essay of Nietzsche's Genealogy of Morality uh, got me into it. You know, the question of like, what is the origin of good and bad? And I think that was appealing to me because I was like rebellious when I was that age. And it kind of was a way... It was, it was someone saying things that I had been thinking in a more crude sense, which at that point was like, how can we show that the current system is not permanent Mm -hmm. and that it is contingent Mm -hmm. and that it is not absolute and that the way things are defined have actually developed through time and they could be otherwise. And it's no coincidence that at that time I became like hyper relativistic. Right. And like now I'm very much out of that. But I, I do still think that that's an important step because Mm -hmm. that helps the questioning. It helps the fire to use your language before. Um, so those were the first two things that got me into philosophy. Now, in terms of a book, like contemporary or something that I would recommend, I'm going to pause and let you speak and maybe come back with that. <laughs> I got you. No, I'm just going to just gonna use... Uh, there are probably two books that... Two, two works from philosopher that have been influential for, for the things that I've studied and the, the way that I think, I guess. Uh, one is Descartes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not the meditation, the discourse okay. on method. Uh, I read that for the first time when I was my third year in high school. And Europe I, is so different. <laughs> and I have reread this multiple times, and every time I read it, I am like, "What? Wow!" Mm. Anyway, um, I I reread the first two books of it like the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I remember why I prefer that to the meditations, for example. Hmm. Uh, and I'm actually having the students read those two this semester. And uh, and the other thing is definitely, for better or worse, the archaeology of knowledge by okay. Michel Foucault, um, because that book was so difficult, <laughs> and uh, and full of of nuggets that outside of the context of the Foucaultian context can be used 
but again, it was mostly the effort that I had to make mm. to truly understand it that I think had tuned, fine-tuned my my philosophical skills even more than that was during my PhD. Um, this two had to be the, the the two books that are most influential. Mm. Now, if we're asking for a book recommendation, something fun to read, and yet a little bit philosophical, there are a couple of things. It's probably and they're not philosophical books; they're they're novels. Uh, oh, that's a good. I didn't even think of that direction. Uh, one is Foster Wallace, "The Broom of the System," mm-hmm. uh, where there is like a Wittgensteinian. Uh, grandmother that disappears at some point. It's a, it's a fun, it's mm. a fun book. Definitely, definitely that. Um, and I do, and probably the sense of an ending. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also another book that is worth reading. That's all. That's all I got. Yeah, I'm thinking. So that was my first two. If I'm doing like step two stuff that really, like, um, drew me into it, I would say, and I'm sure you would agree with this one, uh, Kant's first critique. The critique of pure reason, right? That 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 opening, you know, that line like though all knowledge is founded upon experience, it is not the case that all knowledge comes from experience or ends with experience, whatever. And would you recommend that book to a novice? I mean, if <laughs> no, <laughs> but if you know what though, I will say when I was into this, I would just go to Barnes and Noble and just like go in the philosophy section and be like, what could I do, right? And I would just, and this is a very old world thing because it's not the internet. And I would just go pick stuff up and look at it and go pick and this, this up. This was and look back at when there were books about novels before. Back to- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. And and one of the things I picked up when I was young was uh, the prolegomena to any future metaphysics, Yeah, which is like the <laughs> summarized after the fact version of the, the first critique. critique. Yeah. Um, so I owned that book for so many years before I actually like dove back into it and understood it. And I remember when I was a little bit younger being like, I bought this when I was like 19. (laughs) Now that I'm more trained, quote unquote, let me like go look at this. And I was like, wow, this is so interesting. And there's like notes that I wrote when I was younger and I'm like, this is so cool and interesting and sometimes embarrassing (laughs) to see, you know, cause like you're sloppy when you're younger, but there's something endearing about it. So if you're willing to study a lot, um, be okay. maybe just watch some some lectures on the first critique. That And if that's too hard, then the next thing I say is useless, which was going to be being in time. Because <laughs> it was when I took the class on Heidegger's being in time as an undergrad, that's what made me be like, and I need to do mm-hmm. philosophy now. I, and I think those are good books, definitely good books, important books to read with a guide. Yes, if you could take a class on it, because you get lost by yourself. If you, yes. if you, I mean, I don't know who's listening, right? If you're already well versed, go ahead. Yeah. But if you are a novice, those books are and same with the archaeology oh, yeah. knowledge. You don't want to touch that. Descartes is easier. Yes, hundred percent. Plato is easier. Absolutely. And Nietzsche is uh, dangerous in a different way. It's not difficult to well, it's difficult to understand. Mm-hmm. But when you're young, especially, you don't think it's difficult to understand. You think exactly what he's you saying. You think it's like the most simplified version of what it is, which yes. is why... And it's dangerous. Yes. Um, but yeah, you, you, I, I would read, like, even now I could read the introduction to being in time over and over again, just like this actual, what is being? And, like, we have to ask the question, <laughs> what does the question even mean? Yeah. Um, so that's super rich, and it'll keep you preoccupied for the rest of your life. But <laughs> if we're talking about basic uh, fiction books, yeah. so we were doing, I told you this book club for yep. a while where we would get, we haven't done it in like two years, two almost. years <laughs> almost, right? Um, speak of the devil, but of, in that book club, um, two of the books that I enjoyed the most were, one is uh, Haruki Murakame, uh, Norwegian Wood. Mm-hmm. And this is just like a, cu- I, don't, I hate this phrase because it makes it sound like silly mm-hmm. and it's not, but it's like a coming of age mm-hmm. romantic. Mm-hmm. So it's just this, this guy who's going through life and he's don't, don't, don't spoil it. But, it, but it's just Murakami is really emotional mm-hmm. and dreamy as a writer, which I love that, that whole aesthetic. Um, and then if you want to go crazy, you should read house of leaves, which, uh, <sighs> <laughs> kind of surrealistic horror mm-hmm. kind of cool. super meta like when you read it and then i'll stop here when you read it it's like 
it's about a guy who finds a book but like in the book there's a story happening with people it's like a documentary about a thing that doesn't exist <laughs> and in the and then there's the narrator so there's like the citations for the citations for the citations like very borges kind of stuff it's a uh, danielewski he made that style what it is but anyway yeah that was your questions guys yeah thank you uh one of these days, we're going to do the opposite. We're going to ask the questions and we're see gonna, the answers. <laughs> we could do that. Maybe, who knows, maybe the 100th episode. We're going to we're gonna flip it. We could flip it? Yeah. I was going to say do it again, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe 75 is also a good number, right? We'll see. I didn't give it much time. <laughs> All right, people. Thank you, guys. Hope this uh, was interesting. Yeah, thank you so much, and talk to you soon. And if you ever want to ask any questions that we didn't cover, even if we don't do it right away, you could just preemptively send us questions and email. And you know, it's always a possibility. We don't, we won't commit to this, mm -hmm. but it's always a possibility that we will answer your email, uh, mm. and, and answer your question through email, depending on the urgency of the question, right? Yeah, and remember, it's not always serious philosophy. It True. could be it could, stupid it could be and like, silly. Yeah, it could be like, hey, uh, what's your favorite TV show? Yeah, uh, philosophical TV show. Why is vanilla better than chocolate? We, we won't agree <laughs> on that. See you later. All right, we'll see you guys. Bye.